For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You are more than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Yeah, putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who, for a little while, was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell you my name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing my praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children of God has given me. Sorry, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. We are grateful for your word this morning, Father, uh, but we also uh, come admitting that we need help to grasp what we have in front of us this morning, uh, not just to understand it at an intellectual level, uh, but to receive it at the level of our hearts uh, so that it would transform us, uh, so that we would not only know ideas, uh, but that your truth would truly saturate our lives, how we live. And so we pray that you would open our minds and our hearts, our eyes and our ears to receive what you were saying this morning and to be changed by it. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, last week, we began our Sunday school classes for the fall season. And uh, maybe some of you will know the old joke about answering questions in Sunday school. A teacher describes the physical characteristics of a squirrel and then asks the kids, what am I describing? One little boy raises his hand and says, that really sounds like a squirrel, but I know the answer is always Jesus. Uh, thanks for laughing. It's not a very good joke. Uh, it's not a very funny joke, but y'all are nice. Um, but there is an, a kernel of truth in that joke. And it's a kernel of truth that we find in the book of Hebrews. Because the book of Hebrews embraces and wants us 
to embrace the Sunday school answer. Uh, this book, its language and its argument are, are eloquent and complex. But the essential message to us again and again from the book of Hebrews is that the answer is always Jesus. I don't know if I am supposed to admit this as a pastor, but I find that answer frustrating. Maybe some of you do as well. Especially when we are hurting, when we are confused, when we are overwhelmed by the complexity and the chaos around us, the last thing sometimes we want to hear is that the answer is always Jesus. That seems to dismiss and minimize our pain. But it is good for us to realize that Though we do not know the specific original audience of the book of Hebrews, it is very clear from reading this book that it was written to communities that were suffering. They had been marginalized and attacked because of their association with Jesus. And they were wondering if they should check out other options for how they should live their life other than the Christian faith. And so the book of Hebrews speaks to these people who are hurting and confused and overwhelmed. And still it says to them and to us again and again and again, the answer is always Jesus. Now, why would we listen to that answer? Why would we receive that answer? Why would we hear it? Why would we let that answer shape how we think and feel and act? That's the question I want to ask this morning, and I would want to bring that question to this text from Hebrews chapter 2, and we'll find two reasons. We'll find that we need the Sunday school answer because of the presence of Jesus and the effect of Jesus. First of all, the presence of Jesus. This passage begins with a problem. It starts with the tension of being human. And it shows us this tension. It causes us to feel this tension by using a song from the Old Testament that we find in Psalm chapter 8. And in Psalm 8, we hear about God's design for humanity. The design that we read about in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Psalm 8 says that God, the transcendent God, has crowned us with glory and honor. He has given us the job of ruling on his behalf over all things. God has given to humanity the purpose of shaping and cultivating the creation according to his good and wise vision. The design of God for humanity is that we would bring about his design for all things. But wait a second, says the book of Hebrews. That might sound nice, but that does not accurately describe what we currently experience. When we look around, we do not see the vision of Psalm 8. 
We do not see the vision of humanity filling the world with God's justice and goodness and peace. No, when we look around, we see humanity filling the world with violence, with injustice. And we see the greatest sign that something is off with this vision. The world is full of death. That is the tension of being human. And that tension exists, of course, because of Genesis 3 because of sin, because humanity has rejected and attempted to replace God and his design, his will for us. There is a trail near my house that goes through the woods and alongside of the Big Walnut Creek, and it's a beautiful trail. Some of you walk and have biked on that trail as well. But sometimes, something large will die beside that trail. And begin to decay. And that is not beautiful. Especially the smell of that. And so when I walk through those sections of the trail. I walk with a tension. There is a tension between the beauty that I am seeing. And the ugliness that I am smelling. And that's what it is to be human for now. It is to live with the tension of incredibly beautiful possibility mixed with the stench of death and decay and the sorrow that that brings into our lives. But is that tension unresolvable? Is that problem unsolvable? Well, no, says the book of Hebrews, because the answer is always Jesus. And Jesus has come to deal with that tension. Verse 9 says in the context of Psalm 8, and the problem that Psalm 8 creates for us, Hebrews chapter 2 says, we see Jesus made for a little while lower than the angels. See, Hebrews 2 shows us this tension in order to show us what Jesus has taken up by becoming human, by being born of the Virgin Mary. In his incarnation, what we call his incarnation, his becoming flesh, Jesus has taken up not only the beautiful possibility, but also the stench, death sorrow that that brings into our lives. Jesus has fully entered that. He has fully experienced that. He did not sit at a distance in a lab and analyze our condition. No, he has embodied our fragile conditions as human beings. Jesus didn't just theorize about death. He tasted it. And in that language about Jesus tasting death, see him in the garden on the night before he died on the cross, surrendering to the will of his Father that he drink the cup of suffering with us. Verse 11 says that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. 
and then it quotes from another psalm, Psalm 22, and it talks about Jesus singing in our midst. How does that happen? How is Jesus unashamedly calling us fragile human beings his brothers? How is he singing in our midst? That happens because this isn't the only place that quotes Psalm 22. Jesus, as he hung in agony on the cross, sung the opening lines of that psalm, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And because, and as Jesus sang of his isolation from the Father, he was singing family solidarity with us in our suffering, in our experience of isolation. Those of you who are or have been parents of young children, uh, you know the endless request that they make in, attempt, in an attempt to delay bedtime. Right? And one of the requests that children commonly make at bedtime is the request for a story. Read me a book. Tell me a story. Margaret Wise Brown wrote one of the great books for those moments. She wrote the children's classic, Good Night Moon. And someone asked her about those requests that children make, and she said, children ask for a story about bedtime, uh, at bedtime not because they want a plot, but because they want a presence. Because as they face the frightening prospect of being alone in the dark, they want someone who loves them with them. That is who Jesus is for us. In Jesus, God did not yell at us from the other room to stop being so afraid and go to sleep already. Oh, in Jesus, God came into the frightening dark room with us. My grandmother, who was in her 90s, took her final breath this past week. In the final years of her life, she had dealt with very severe dementia. And that dementia became extremely severe in the past couple of weeks. And so for the final weeks of her life, she lived in a good bit of distress because of the absence of her mind and her memory distress those who were caring for her as well. So here's why I need the Sunday school answer. Because I need to know that as my grandmother was in the dark room, she was not alone. Even if she didn't know it, Jesus was there with those who love her. And here's why you need the Sunday school answer. Because in your life, in various ways, you will face the frightening dark. Maybe this week even. 
because you need a God who is in the room with you. And that is the God we have been shown, and that is the God that we have been given in Jesus. It's the God who comes into the dark room with us. It is the assurance that in those moments, even if we don't realize it, we are not that's not all. And frankly, that's not enough. Empathy is good. Companionship is good. But we need change. We need not only someone in the dark with us, we need someone to turn on the light. And so the book of Hebrews shows us not only the presence of Jesus, but also the effect of Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 10, calls him the founder of our salvation. Some translations will say pioneer. Uh, But that is a difficult term to translate. And one of the things that helps in, in translating and in understanding that term is that it was used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in the book of Numbers to describe the spies that were sent into the promised land to check out the potential enemy of God's people as they attempted to take that land. And you remember uh, 10 spies, they came back and said, there's giants in the land, they're too big, we can't do this. Uh, But two spies, Joshua and Caleb, came back and said, our God is bigger and he is with us, Uh, let's take this land. That word, that term used in Hebrews chapter 2 is used elsewhere also to describe champions who engage in single combat on behalf of the whole army, like David, fighting the giant Goliath. So this is a military term. And Hebrews 2 is showing us that Jesus, as he enters our suffering, as he enters the darkness, he is not just our companion, but he enters suffering, he enters darkness, he faces the giant of death as our spy and our champion. And as our spy and champion, he has faced the giant of death and the one who holds the power of death. And he has defeated that enemy on our behalf. He is not just our companion, he is our champion. He has entered the darkness and begun to overcome it with light by taking death into himself by tasting death he not only experiences that with us but he begins to transform it jesus is toxic for the grave star wars understands this pattern star wars understands that the champion has to go into the enemy and blow it up from the inside out And that is what Jesus has done for us. He's not only with us in the dark room, but he has begun to definitively, eternally turn on the light. And here's what that means. That means, first of all, that he has delivered us 
from the fear of death. He has not delivered us from the temporary experience of physical death, but he has delivered us from the overwhelming, enslaving fear of death. Freud was not the first to discover that death has an incredible power over how we live. It's here in the book of Hebrews, but Hebrews says to us, because of our champion, that power doesn't have to own us. That power doesn't have to definitively shape how we think, feel, and act. We are free from that fear in Jesus. But he's not only freed us from the fear of death, he has also freed us from the finality of death. Do you remember our human problem? Do you remember that seemingly unresolvable tension of what it means to be human for now? Psalm 8 says that we are crowned with glory, but it sure doesn't look like it. Well, Jesus has entered that. It doesn't look like it. He has entered that sorrow. He has tasted that death. Why? Not only that he, so that he could become our brother, but that so, verse 10, he could lead many sons where? To glory. So that as he goes before us through through suffering, he is drawing us with him towards the full restoration of that vision that Psalm 8 sings about. By going before us, he is taking us back. He is restoring us to that glory. He is restoring us to that vision even now and more so in the future. The poet Gerard Manley Hopkins wrote, In a flash at a trumpet crash, I am all at once what he is since he was what I am. I am what he is since he was what I am. Jesus became what we are. He became the fragility that we are so that we could become the glory of what he is. That's why you need a Sunday school answer. You need to know that your existence is not defined and made meaningless by death. You need to know that you have a champion, a captain, who is leading you and restoring you to the fullness of what God desires and has designed for you. There is a very unique orchestra in the city of Keturah, Paraguay. Uh, This orchestra is called the Recycled Instruments Orchestra. It is located in a very impoverished neighborhood uh, near the local landfill. And this orchestra is made up of young people from that neighborhood. And the instruments that they play are not instruments that you buy at the music store or order from Sweetwater. They are instruments that are made from objects that they have found in the landfill. They make instruments and make music with those things taken from the trash. 
And the founder and the conductor of this orchestra was asked, why? Why do you do this? And he said, well, the world sends us garbage, and we send back music. The world sends us garbage, we send back music. Here's why you need to know that Jesus is always the answer. It's because that is what he will do with your life if you put your faith in him. If you will listen to that answer, if you will follow him, if you will make that truth the defining center of your life, that's what Jesus will do. That is what he is doing with our world. Jesus entered the trash heap of what our sin has made. And he is sending back music. Will you by faith let him do that with your life? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you have given to us your son. The truth that this, the book of Hebrews shows us, we are inadequate to put words on that. But I pray this morning that you would give us the faith to embrace that. That though at times we want answers that will satisfy us in different ways, that will answer all of the questions that we have about why, pray that you would Give us the humility and the faith to embrace the answer that is your son. To embrace your presence with us in the darkness and the sure and certain hope that you will turn on the light. Help us now and this coming week to receive, to enjoy, trust to adore who Jesus is for us. We pray it all in his name.